So let's start the Dhamma talk with the Namotasa. Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa So tonight will be the last talk about faith and refuge. In the last three talks, we have looked at faith and refuge, and faith, sada in Pali, means confidence or trust, and in the Buddha's teaching it means to have confidence or trust in the triple gem, which is the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha as well as have confidence and trust in the law of cause and effect in which karma and its effects are included. And so we have seen that for true faith to arise or true faith makes the mind clear. The object of faith is something that clarifies the mind, that makes it clear and pure. And so we have seen that the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha as objects of faith have this quality of making the mind clear and pure. We've also looked at the four types of faith namely serene faith which arises uh, without much understanding of the triple gem without much understanding of the Buddha's teaching it's just a kind of a spontaneous arising of faith of trust in the triple gem and it's just a very basic knowledge that the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha are worthy of, ref, uh, of uh, respect or reverence. The second type of faith is called firm faith and this kind of faith arises when one has a basic understanding of the objects of faith so to have a basic theoretical understanding of the Buddha or the attributes of the Buddha, the Dhamma its attributes and the Sangha as well as have a basic understanding of the Buddha's teaching then it becomes firm faith the third type of faith is called unshakable faith and this type of faith arises through personal and direct experience of the teachings so when one actually puts into practice what the Buddha taught 
in whatever respect this may be. But through the personal uh, experience, then the faith that arises, it becomes very strong or unshakable. And you have seen that when a person attains the first stage of enlightenment, becomes a sotapanna, then this unshakable faith becomes really invincible, cannot be broken anymore. And the fourth type of faith is called oncoming faith, but this faith is only concerned with bodhisattvas. When a bodhisattva receives the prophecy of a previous Buddha that he, in the distant future, will become a Buddha, so then the faith that arises in the bodhisattva is called oncoming faith. Then I was also talking about refuge. Refuge is something that gives shelter or that gives protection from danger and harm. And we have looked at what kind of danger and harm, from what kind of danger and harm we need protection. And we have seen it's on three levels, the danger and harm pertaining to this life, like the danger and harm that is just naturally occurring through the vicissitudes of life, through external disasters, and so on. But also the dangers and harm coming from our unwholesome reactions, unwholesome mental states. The endangerment harm pertaining to uh, the future, to our future existences, that means the danger of falling into an unhappy existence or one of the lower existences where suffering is pervasive and from where it's very, very difficult to have again a rebirth in a good or happy plane of existence. And then on the third level, the danger and harm pertaining to the samsaric danger or harm. The fact that any kind of existence is inherently unsatisfactory. So to escape from that. So for this we need refuge or protection. And again in the Buddha's teaching, the objects of refuge are the triple gem, namely the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. The Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha can become a worthy and true refuge which can give us Uh, protection from these dangers and harms. And so, as we have seen, uh, the triple gem is both the object of faith and refuge. And so it's important 
that we understand very well what the Triple Gem is all about. And so we have already had a look at the attributes of the Buddha and also the attributes of the Dhamma. So just to refresh it, there are nine attributes of the Buddha. Araham means he is worthy of respect and honor. Sammasambuddha, he is fully enlightened by himself. Vichacharana Sampano, he is endowed with supreme knowledge and virtuous conduct. Sukato, meaning well said, well spoken, or well gone. Lokavidu, the knower of the worlds. Anuttaro Purisa Dhamma Sarati, the incomparable teacher to tame human beings. Sata Deva Manusanam, the teacher of humans, devas and brahmas. Buddha, the one who knows, or the awakened one. And Bhagava, the blessed one. Then the attributes of the Dhamma, there are six attributes. And they are Swakato, Bhagavata, Dhammo. The Dhamma of the Blessed One is well expounded. It's good in the beginning, good in the middle, good in the end. Second attribute is Sanditiko, to be realized by oneself to be experienced by oneself. Third attribute is akariko, meaning it's immediately effective. Next one is ehipasiko, common see, or it's inviting for inspection. Obaneiko means onward leading, it leads onward to nibbana. And the last one is Pachatam Veditapo Vinyuhi, meaning to be personally uh, realized by the wise. So today I'll mention or explain the attributes of the Sangha, and then we'll have a look at the benefits from going for refuge. The Sangha has nine attributes. I will go through them briefly and then explain each of these nine attributes. The first one is Supatipanno Bhagavato Savaka Sango. And this means the order of the disciples of the Blessed One is practicing the true way. Second one is Uchupatipanno Bhagavato Savaka Sango. This means the order of the disciples of the Blessed One is practicing the straight way. The third one is Nyayapatipanno Bhagavato Savaka Sango, meaning the order of the disciple of the Blessed One is practicing the way to Nibbana. 
And the fourth one, Samichi Patipanno Bhagavato Savaka Sango, meaning the order of the disciples of the Blessed One is practicing the proper way. And then comes a little bit in between before the fifth attribute, which uh, says, Yaditam Chattari Purisa Yugani Atta Purisa Pugala Esa Bhagavato Savaka Sango. And this means this order of the disciples of the Blessed One, which includes these four pairs of persons, these eight kinds of individuals, is worthy of gifts. So this is the fifth attribute. And in Pali it's Ahuneyo. And the sixth attribute is Pahuneyo, which means uh, is worthy of hospitality. Seventh attribute, Dakinayo, is worthy of offerings. Number eight, Anjali Karaniyo, which means is worthy of reverential salutation. And the ninth and last attribute of the Sangha, Anuttaram Punyaketam Lokasa, meaning the Sangha is the unsurpassed field of merit for the world. So the first four attributes of the Sangha are dealing with the purpose of their practice. The first one, Supatipanno, uh, refers to the disciples who are practicing the true way. The true way meaning in order to get rid of all the defilements. As long as the defilements are present, the ultimate goal of Nibbana or liberation cannot be reached. So gradually we have to weaken these defilements and finally uh, uproot them completely so that perfect happiness and peace can be attained. The second attribute is Uchupatipano and this means that the disciples practice with an upright and straight mind without deceiving anybody, without pretending. So the Sangha they abstain or they refrain from improper, unwholesome actions and perform all their actions with a pure mind, being honest. And especially when dealing with lay people, then they avoid to be dishonest for the sake of receiving abundant offerings or gifts. (coughs) So here is an example of this. During the lifetime of a Buddha, of the Buddha, there was a monk who pretended to be very honest, although he was not. And so 
to admonish this monk, the Buddha related a story from the past. So the Buddha told this story. Once, while King Brahmadatta was ruling in Benares, the Bodhisattva was born into a merchant's family. And in that village, there was an ascetic who lived in a temple, and this temple was looked after by a very rich man. So one day, this rich man, he buried some treasures under the temple, and so then told the ascetic to look after this treasure. But the ascetic uh, then said, this is not proper to do that. For an ascetic, uh, it's not proper to look after wealth, after treasures. But then, after three days, the ascetic um, took away the treasures and buried them in a far distant place. And after he had done that, he went to that rich man and told him, an ascetic should not stay all the time in the same place, so I will leave from here and go somewhere else. The rich man urged him to stay on, but the ascetic said uh, that he would leave. Soon after the ascetic had left, he actually returned to the rich man's house. And so the rich man was very happy to see him again, thinking that he had changed his mind. And so uh, he asked him, so now do you return? Do you have changed your mind? But the ascetic, he showed him a piece of uh, thatch that was sticking in his hair and said, when I came out of your house before I left, this thatch got stuck in my hair and so I came back to return your property. So this naive rich man admired this ascetic's honesty and uprightness. But the Bodhisattva who was the son of a merchant, um, guessed that it was only a pretense and uh, that this ascetic was not really honest. And so then the Bodhisattva told this rich man, or he asked him, does this ascetic know any secret of yours? And so then the rich man told him that he... Uh, buried some treasure under the temple and had asked the ascetic to look after it. And so then to this the Bodhisattva said, well, then go and see if your treasure is still there. If it's no longer there, then nobody else than this ascetic is to be suspected. So the rich man immediately went to the place where he had buried the treasure and found that it had gone. And then apparently he followed uh, the ascetic, caught up with him and was beating him until 
the ascetic confessed. So the disciples should practice uh, with an uh, should be honest and uh, straight. Then the third attribute is uh, nyaya patipano, which means that the disciples, the sangha, they practice to be free from suffering and to reach nirvana. And we might remember that the Buddha said that he was teaching two things, namely suffering and the end of suffering, liberation from suffering. So the realization of Nibbana extinguishes the fires of greed, hatred, and delusion completely. And as these defilements are compared to a fire that is burning, so the end of these defilements, the complete extinguishing of these fires of these defilements means a, a cooling down. And so actually, Nibbana is uh, compared to the moon rather than to the sun, which is hot and devouring. And we actually can notice that in Tibetan Tankas, uh, Tibetan Tankas which display uh, the wheel of life, dependent origination, they are usually in one upper corner there is the sun and in the other there is the moon. And then there is a, the Buddha and his finger, his arm, is always pointing towards the moon, the coolness uh, of Nibbana, the extinguishing of the fires, of the defilements. So practicing in order to reach Nibbana or to become free from the defilements. And in this regard, there is the story of uh, Ratapala. One day, the Buddha arrived at a small town called Tullakotita, and he gave a Dhamma talk to everybody who came to listen. And among the audience was Ratapala, who was uh, the only son of a very uh, wealthy man of that town. And Ratapala was very much delighted by what the Buddha had said, and so he wanted to become a monk. And so he asked his parents for permission to ordain. But they didn't want to let him become a monk because he was the only son, and so they wanted him to inherit uh, their wealth. But Ratapala very badly wanted to become a monk. And so he lay down on the ground and determined not to eat any food until he got his parents' uh, consent to ordain as a monk. So we see already at that time uh, people used 
hunger strike <laughs> to get their ends fulfilled. And as he was there on his hunger strike, then friends of the family, they urged the parents to give their permission, saying, you know, if you give him permission to ordain as a monk, then you still can see him uh, as a monk. But if he, if you don't give permission, and then if he dies of starvation, you lose your son. And anyway, if you give permission and he ordains as a monk, maybe he doesn't like the life of a monk and he will return to lay life. So finally, uh, although reluctantly, the parents gave their permission and Adapala was ordained as a monk. And it didn't take him very long to become fully enlightened, to become an arahant. And so one day, as he went for his arms round, he uh, went to his parents' place. And the father showed him uh, treasures, a heap, big heap of treasure, and said, you know, this is the inheritance from your mother. And there is more uh, inheritance uh, from my side. So, you know, give up your road, rope and return to the lay life. Enjoy essential pleasures and, you know, you can do meritorious deeds. But Ratapala only replied, you should throw all these treasures in the river because they are the cause of grief, sorrow, distress and troubles. Of course, the father was not pleased to hear uh, his answer. He was very upset. And so then the father went to uh, Ratapala's ex-wives. Apparently he had more than one wife. And so he told them, to dress up and um, display all their charms. So they came dressed up, displaying their charms. And uh, they asked him, did you join the Buddha's order in order to associate with the heavenly nymphs? Are they more beautiful than us? But Ratapala simply said, dear sisters, I did not become a monk for that reason, but only to become free from all defilements to reach Nibbana. And when they heard that he addressed them as sisters, because they still hoped that um, he would come back to lay life, but this term sister, that was a clear indication that he would not come back to lay life. And so uh, they were overcome uh, with grief and they were also quite shocked. And it says in the commentary that uh, because of this shock and grief they blacked out. Then the next attribute is Samichi Patipano. 
And this means that the disciples, the Sangha, practice the proper way. That means they perform their duties for the good of the world and for the benefit of sentient beings. Their behavior is proper and it is in accordance with the Vinaya, the monastic rules and regulations. To be respected and to be worthy of veneration, the morality of a member of the Sangha must be good or it should be even uh, better, superior to an ordinary person's morality. Once the Buddha was asked for whom uh, it was proper to pay respect or to uh, whom it was proper to venerate. And the Buddha said it was proper to respect and venerate elders and those of superior morality, such as nuns and monks. In Burma, I have come to uh, know and see that to pay respect to elders is still a very common practice. So Burmese people not only pay respect to monks and nuns, they do not only bow down to monks and nuns, but they also bow down to elders. And this includes parents or grandparents or even uncles and aunties. So for example, my Burmese friend Mimi, who is now in her late 40s, whenever she would go away from her parents, be it go to the go abroad um, with Sayadaw as uh, his translator, or for a longer pilgrimage in Burma, then before leaving she would bow down three times uh, to her parents. And then coming back, again bowing down. And there is one day in the year, uh, the end of Vasa, the full moon day, then when one not only pays respect to the Sayadas, or the monks, or the nuns, but also that's the day to pay respect to one's parents, to one's grandparents, to one's uncles or aunties. Then the remaining five attributes describe in what way the disciples can be of great benefit for lay people. Ahuneyo means that they are worthy of receiving gifts, receiving presents. And also like even if these gifts or presents have to be brought from far away. So, for example, in Burma, when people go on a pilgrimage, uh, then they carry with them 
gifts or presents to be offered to a certain monk they go to on pilgrimage or a certain temple or pagoda. The next attribute is Pahuneyo and this means they are worthy of hospitality. As the Sangha or the members of the Sangha are endowed with laughable, admirable qualities such as their morality, their uh, concentration or wisdom, so they are uh, unequaled to ordinary guests. So they are worthy to receive uh, food and gifts, food or gifts that are especially prepared for them. For Burmese people, it's a very great honor when they have the chance to invite a monk uh, to their home and offer them a meal. Unfortunately, the nuns do not enjoy the same respect and honor in Burma, but me being uh, a Western nun, uh, I get a bit more respect. (laughs) Uh, than Burmese nuns. And so if they, if Burmese people invite a monk, or I have been invited a number of times, so then uh, this becomes a real uh, family thing, like the whole family, and in Burma this is kind of the, the wider family, uncles and aunties, and the grandparents are around and cousins and nephews, whatever. Everybody comes and helps in the preparation for the food because then one only wants to offer the best and a lot. So they prepare maybe ten different kinds of curries and uh, lots of fruit and dessert and cakes and sweets. Uh, So it can be quite chaotic (laughs) but then Um, when it's ready, time for lunch, everything is neatly arranged on the table and they very happily offer it uh, to the monk or uh, to the nun. And when it happened the first time to me or the first few times, um, so then they offer the food and so then one sits on the table and the whole family stands around the table and watches one eating. (laughs) (laughs) I felt quite strange and uneasy, you know, to have everybody around and watching me eating. I wanted them to go and eat themselves and, you know, just leave me alone. (laughs) But no, they would stand there and... Um, you know, reaching you the curries and the rice and so you take and then uh, going through the meal then they come up, take more, take more, take more and, you know, being um, appreciating their offerings or taking a little bit more and then again, of course, take more, take more, more rice and so then comes the point where, oh, stomach is getting full and uh, a whole other layer of dessert is waiting. So then saying, no, no, enough. Oh, you don't like this curry? 
Yes, yes, I like. Then take more. No, 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 enough. <laughs> but anyway, they take so much delight in doing that. And it's only when one has finished the monk or the nun, only then uh, do they eat. Then one is allowed to go in a different room, take rest, and they have their meal. So the seventh attribute is Dakhineyo. And this means that the disciples, the Sangha, are worthy of offerings. They are worthy of offerings out of the belief for future good results. And so this is based on karma, the law of cause and effect on the moral plane. As you have seen, simply speaking, it means that good and wholesome actions yield good and wholesome results. All bad and unwholesome actions yield bad and unwholesome results. So offering something um, is an act of dana, which means generosity. And so this is considered to be a beneficial, a wholesome act. And it's countering miserliness, self-centeredness, and can also counter greed. Then the next attribute is Anjali Kaniyo, and this means that the disciples, the Sangha, are worthy of reverential salutation. And this means uh, greeting with both hands, both palms joined together in front of the chest, like this gesture. That's Anjali. And so in the Asian Buddhist countries, this is the traditional way of greeting uh, a monk or a nun. And then this is uh, usually also followed by bowing down three times. And normally bowing down this is done sitting on one's heels and legs, at least uh, in Theravadan Buddhist countries. And so then the bowing down, uh, this is said to be the fi- that five points touch the ground. So this means when bowing down to a monk or to a nun, uh, the head should touch down the ground the forehead at one point then both hands and this even includes the elbows so that the arms uh, from the elbows to the hands should touch the ground beyond the ground and then also the two legs the two feet this includes up to the knees should touch the ground In 
other traditions, like the Japanese tradition or the Tibetan tra- uh, traditions, the bowing down is done from the standing posture. Then the last attribute of the Sangha is Anuttaram Punyaketam Lokasa. And this means the disciples are an unsurpassed field of merit for the world. The members of the Sangha, the nuns and the monks, are compared to fertile land. And those who perform deeds of merit are compared with the owner of the land. And donating the offering, the offering is compared with fertile seeds. So when fertile seeds are sowed into fine and rich soil, then they can grow rapidly and grow into strong and big plants. And so likewise, when the seeds of offerings are sowed in the unsurpassed field of the Aryan Sangha, then the owner of the land, the donor, can enjoy the rich crop of his or her meritorious deed at some stage in the future. So, these are the nine attributes and we have seen in between there is this passage this order of the disciples of the Blessed One, which includes these four pairs of persons, these eight kinds of individuals. So the four pairs of persons, they refer to those who have attained the path knowledge and fruition knowledges. So the first pair of persons consists of those who have attained Sotapata, Sotapanna Maganyana and Sotapanna Palanyana, which means the path knowledge of stream entry and the fruition knowledge of stream entry. So this is one pair. And then the same applies to the second, third and fourth stage of enlightenment. And the eight kinds of individuals, they uh, refer to these um, eight supramundane stages, persons, individuals who have attained uh, these stages. So one the first individual is the person who has attained the path knowledge of stream entry. The second kind would be the person who has attained the fruition knowledge of stream entry. And then the one path and fruition knowledge of one's return. These are uh, number three and four. Then the next two individuals the path knowledge and fruition knowledge of one not never return and lastly the path and fruition knowledge of uh, arahantship
So these are the nine attributes of the Sangha. So understanding the meaning of Sangha and their attributes is, import, is important both in regard to faith and uh, refuge. Faith and refuge are closely linked together. When there is faith in the triple gem, then one naturally inclines to go for refuge to the triple gem. So, what are the benefits of going for refuge? It is said that the benefits of going for refuge are vast because the act of going for refuge is beyond comparison. In several suttas, discourses, the Buddha mentioned how valuable it is to go for refuge. In one sutta, the Buddha talked about repaying the debts for one's parents. And so in that sutta, the Buddha said, even if one were to carry them, one's parents, on one's shoulder for the rest of one's life, one still would not be able to repay one's debts to them. If one were to establish one's stingy parents in generosity, one would be more than able to repay one's debts. If one were to establish one's ignorant parents in wisdom, one would be more than able to repay one's debts. If one were to establish one's unbelieving parents in the triple gem, one would be more than able to repay one's debts. In another sutta called the streams of merit, the Buddha mentioned eight streams of merit. So first he said, streams of the wholesome, nourishment of happiness, which are heavenly, ripening in happiness, conducive to heaven and which lead to whatever is wished for, loved and agreeable to one's welfare and happiness. So these streams of merits, what are they? The first one is going for refuge in the Buddha. The second one is going for refuge in the Dhamma. The third one is going for refuge in the Sangha. The fourth stream of merit is refraining from killing living beings. The fifth one is refraining from taking what is not given. Refraining from taking what is not given. Then the sixth one, refraining from sexual misconduct. Seventh, refraining from telling lies. And the eighth stream of merit, refraining from taking intoxicants which cloud the mind and cause heedlessness. So we see among these 
eight streams of merit. The first three are going for refuge in the Triple Gem, the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. And the remaining five streams of merit are actually the basic five precepts. So by keeping these five precepts, one gives immeasurable freedom to uh, in uh, to innumerable beings. One gives freedom from fear, freedom from hostility, freedom from oppression. And so if one keeps these precepts and gives this freedom to other beings, based on the law of karma and its effects, the person who keeps these precepts will also enjoy the benefits of freedom from fear, hostility and oppression. As we have seen, the going for refuge in the Triple Gem must be done with a pure heart and a proper motivation to be really effective. So one not only needs to understand the meaning of the Buddha, Dhamma and the Sangha, but one also needs to know the reason for doing so, the reasons for uh, why one should go for refuge. And as we have seen, the ultimate purpose is to find a true shelter and to find protection from the dangers inherent in existence. The Triple Gem is a reliable shelter and a true refuge that can free us from the repeated birth and death, can free us from the cycle of samsara, and so free us from the all-pervading dangers uh, inherent in samsara. Besides that, the Triple Gem as a refuge can also give protection from more immediate dangers and threats. I already mentioned the example of Ajahn Sujito, whose life was threatened by Indian bandits. And so with a calm mind and his hands in Anjali, he started to recite Namo Tassa Bhagavato and so on. And the bandit holding the axe over his head simply could not bring down his axe. Or I mentioned the American nun who was attacked by a bear. So here are two more, uh, two more examples. One is a Malaysian monk who stayed in a little hut which was built by the caretaker of a durian orchard in Malaysia. And so this Malaysian monk, he was a meditating monk and he was not much into chanting. He only did chanting when it was absolutely necessary. 
But one day, uh, he was lying down and taking rest. And as he was taking rest, all of a sudden, his body felt like paralyzed. He could no longer move his body. And he also felt a very strange presence in the room. And so he opened his eyes and in the corner of his eye he could see a figure, like a ghost, who was flipping through the pages of his Dhamma books on his table. And later when this monk related that uh, experience, he said as he had opened his eyes and looked at the ghost, the ghost must have sensed that he was looking at it from the corner of his eyes. And so with that, this ghost immediately pointed a finger at his left eye. And the finger had a very long fingernail and it was going to poke his left eye. But the monk was like paralyzed. He could not move. What to do? And so then he started to chant Buddham Saranam Gachami. And even before he had chanted this far, the figure, this ghost, had disappeared. Another incident, this happened to Venerable Agachita, who is a Malaysian monk who had spent some time in Burma uh, studying, meditating beside the Upandita. This incident happened when he was still a very young monk and he was staying in one of the centers uh, in Malaysia. And in the center there was a senior monk and one afternoon a young woman entered the center, the temple, coming back, coming from her work and said, Auntie, when I was walking along the road, suddenly somebody gave me a big packet with nut leaves. And after I accepted that nut leaf packet, I started to feel uh, a daze. So please help me. And the monk, the Bhante, said, Oh, don't worry. Just give this nut leaf packet to this young monk. And so she handed this packet to Venerable Agachita. He took that packet and then threw it in a rubbish bin. And after that, the Bhante told this young woman to repeat after him. And she started to chant, Buddham, Saranam, Gachami, and so on. So he let her take the refugees. And after she had taken the refugees, this young woman said, Ah, thank you so much, Bhante. Now I feel better. And with that, she left the temple. After that, Venerable Agachita went back to his kuti. And when he got to his kuti, to his room, he felt an evil presence in his room. 
And it was quite palpable because his hair was standing on end. His chest felt constricted and his heartbeat was very, very fast. So he did not feel comfortable at all. And apparently at that time he also started to chant Buddham Saranam Gachami and continued. And after some time the evil presence in his room uh, disappeared. Don't don't underestimate the power of the triple gem. It can be very useful at times. But do not only use it for worldly protection. Always keep in mind that the protection given by the triple gem is the supramundane safety of complete liberation. Of course, the Buddha was well aware that people were going for refuge to other things, that they would go go for refuge to certain places, to certain hills, or to a wood, to a grove, going for refuge to certain trees or shrines. And there are some verses in the Dhammapada Uh, in which the Buddha pointed out that these kind of refugees, like hills and trees and uh, woods, such refugees indeed is no safe refuge. Such is not the refuge supreme. Not by resorting to such a refuge is one released from all suffering. And so then, The Buddha uh, explains what the supreme refuge is. He who has gone for refuge to the Buddha, the teaching and his order, penetrates with transcendental wisdom the Four Noble Truths. Suffering, the cause of suffering, the cessation of suffering and the Noble Eightfold Path leading to the cessation of suffering. This, indeed, is the safe refuge. This is the refuge supreme. Having gone to such a refuge, one is released from all suffering. So, the reason to go for refuge is the need for protection protection from danger and harm or protection from unpredictable circumstances in life. Things are basically beyond absolute control. (coughs) So when we encounter difficulties or a crisis, then how we react or respond to that difficulty or disaster or crisis This will determine the quality of our life. So the first reason for taking refuge is concerned with the here and now, with the present life, with the reactions 
and responses of what is happening to us and around us. So then by putting the Buddha's teaching into practice, the triple gem can give protection from unwholesome reactions and responses. Then the second reason is concerned to what is going to happen after death. Because in Buddhism uh, it says that life doesn't end with death. It's just a stepping stone to another existence. And so because there are different planes of existences, those in which suffering and misery is prevailing, others where there is more pleasure, more happiness. So then the second reason to go for refuge is to lessen the possibility of falling into an unwholesome uh, plane of existence or a lower plane of existence. And the third reason for going, of taking refuge is from the samsaric point of view, which means to basically to get out of this cycle of birth and death, because as long as there is an existence, it's unsatisfactory to get away from the inherent dissatisfaction of any kind of existence. So the triple gem, the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha are considered to be the supreme refuge because they are able to guide people to this highest goal. So with this we have covered all or most of the aspects concerned connected with faith, refuge and going uh, for refuge. As we have seen, the triple gem is both the object of faith and refuge. This is why we have also had a closer look at the attributes of the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. For for firm faith to arise, we need to have some theoretical understanding of the objects of faith, the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. And to make sure that the going for refuge is pure and genuine, so we need to know what the objects of refuge are and the reasons. Uh, we should do so. So I will end this Dhamma talk with the reassuring words of the Buddha. This indeed is the triple gem, indeed is the safe refuge. This is the refuge supreme. Having gone to such a refuge, one is released from all suffering. So may the safe refuge of the Triple Gem 
be your guide and protector on the way to complete liberation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.